Open your Bibles to Matthew 5, please. Matthew 5. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, watching a photographer take some pictures outside of uh, Stephanie's store down in Bellingham, and the person was taking pictures. I'm, I'm trying to get out of the way at the front of the store, and, and I'm kind of moving around like this, not paying too much attention, and I stepped off the curb, which wouldn't normally have been a problem um, you know, I kind of caught myself, I'm kind of going like this, and in one of those goes back and forth, there was something like that on the top of a car, about that big around, that went whack right in my head, I went, whoa, it's like the giant, I thought that never entered my mind before, and whoa, I had to shake that off for a minute, <laughs> made, me, made me think about uh, a time in college when uh, some guys were shooting a thing, we used to call it a tennis ball cannon. Anybody ever shoot a tennis ball cannon? Yeah, all you delinquents, yeah, you know it. <laughs> I, I have never made one yet, that's kind of on my bucket list, maybe when the grandkids get older. What you do is you take, this is, and, and when I googled uh, uh, tennis ball cannon, the picture with one of these said, old school. <laughs> I thought, that's, you darn tootin', that's old school, that's the kind I know about. You take several tin cans, back in the day they did it with pop cans, which were still made of some serious metal, and you, you cut the middles of them out, and in the bottom you make a combustion chamber, and you spray a little star, uh, lighter fluid in there, shake it up, put a tennis ball can, and one guy holds it, and the other guy puts a lighter to the back end, and whoosh, that thing goes out of there. Well, some guys at, at college were, were shooting one of these, and I'm, I'm sitting like this talking to a guy up on a hill, they're shooting them down below, and I'm kind of watching and chatting, watching and chatting. All of a sudden, kawango, right in my cheek. They nailed me with one of those things. And the guy talking to me said, I thought you saw it coming. <laughs> like I would have sat there. But I'm here to tell you, I did not turn the other cheek. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, was he saying we're not supposed to defend ourselves? Did he mean that war is never right? Did he mean that uh, it's wrong to, to uh, protect uh, what God has given you? We want to understand what he meant when he said, turn the other cheek today as we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, for those of you that may not have been here in in recent weeks, the context of this whole uh, section of Matthew 5 is this. Jesus has enunciated what we call the Beatitudes. He says, this is what it's like to be a believer. And they said, now, let me tell you what what the spiritual life of a believer in me is like. And he makes reference to Old Testament law, <clears throat> and to the ways the Old Testament law had been sort of bent by some of the religious people of his day. And so he says, you have heard this, but now I'm telling you this. 
And he doesn't remove, in fact, he said that in, in other places. He says, I'm not here to remove the law. What he does is he takes the law to its intended conclusion. And if we were to try to say, what is the intended conclusion of the law? We'd go to Galatians chapter 3, in which the Apostle Paul, by God's inspiration, said, look, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so the goal of the law was the kind of spirituality and the kind of righteousness, the depth of righteousness that is possible in Christ. And so he's not getting rid of the law, he's taking it to its uh, intended conclusion. And so here he makes reference to an Old Testament law. And so we want to ask the question, what did the law actually say? Well, the, the law actually said the exact words Christ quoted. The quote he gives last week was a compilation of several Old Testament passages. This one is exactly from the Old Testament. Um, turn with me to Exodus 21, if you would. It's good for us to get back and actually turn these pages and uh, be familiar with these passages that are so important to us. Exodus chapter uh, 21. Now these are the judgments that you will set before the people of Israel. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year go out, and so on. And uh, he gives all of these different rules. What are the rules based on? Well, turn back a page to Exodus 20. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take note of this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And it goes right on through what we call the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the summary of God's moral law. And as such, they never change. They never go out of vogue. The one that we don't see repeated in the same form is the law of the Sabbath. But the book of Hebrews tells us when we believe in Christ as our Savior, we are resting. We are taking a Sabbath in Christ. We rest from the work of of, uh, life before Christ. And so this is God's moral law. Now when we get to verse 20, chapter 21, he says, now these are the judgments. What's he talking about? What he's saying is this is the application of the law. Here's the law, and here is a whole series of specifics based on the law. These are the judgments that you shall set before them. And so there are all kinds of of judgments that are made. Look at verse 22. If men fight and hurt a woman who is with child or pregnant so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the the woman's husband imposes on him and he shall pay As the judges determine, but if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. 
Now, what God was giving here was an application of the law. The broad law would be, you can't take somebody else's life. Well, what if you don't take their life, but you just take part of it? Okay, here's the rules. And, and as such, the key phrase that I want you to notice is verse 22. He shall pay as the judge determines. This was a law of civil judgment, not an approval of personal retribution. It's important to understand that. I don't know what your image of the Old Testament time frame has been, but it wasn't an image where they came around and said, now you knocked my tooth out, so open your mouth up and get ready. No, no. And in, and, and in the case of a, a, of a servant or a slave, somebody who was owned, do you understand the servant didn't get to knock the guy's eye out for knocking his eye out? He got to go free. Okay, and so they're, what, what were they after? They were after um, trying to make things fair. He shall pay. In verse 22, it's talking about a woman with child. She gives birth prematurely. The husband had the right to assess damages. You injured my wife. You, I have damages from you. And if there was a, you know, if there was no actual harm, just a premature birth, and the baby was okay, then there was apparently a monetary fine. But if there was some real harm, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth then apparently there would have been some system of determining now what has happened here. Remember that murder and rape were punishable by death. Okay, So now we've, we've gone to, forgive me, but I think it bears the scripture, we've gone to lesser crimes. Now how, how is there going to be fairness for that? So clearly God didn't say, take things into your own hands, pay back, you know, whatever has to be done. Um, as the judge determines, under Old Testament law, revenge without civil justice was never acceptable, even in the case of rape or murder. What did God prescribe for the person who killed someone? What was he supposed to do right away? He's supposed to run to the city of refuge until there was a trial. Okay? Now, he might still be put to death, but there were rules even for how people died and, and uh, things like that. And so God never approved of personal retribution or revenge or taking things into your own hands. The goal of this law was fairness of damages. That was the goal of the law, fairness of damages. And and in reality, and I I don't want to get sidetracked or make too big a deal of it, but essentially our law in this country is based on this concept of uh, equity of punishment. We don't punish a shoplifter the same way we do somebody who steals a car. There's an equity of punishment. The 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 uh, and I understand uh, you know all the deficits with the criminal justice system, but. But that's essentially the basis of how it was created. So let's go back to Matthew 5 with that background now. And, uh, and think about, first of all, what is Jesus not saying? What is Jesus not saying? Um, 
God has chosen to reveal his truth to us one piece at a time over time. And by about 90 A.D., the whole... I mean, Jesus Christ is living and speaking in a, here in Matthew 5. He's, he's in about, say, A.D. Uh, 30, say somewhere in that neighborhood. And by A.D. 90, the Bible is completed. And so God continued to increase... And there are things uh, that come to balance this law, if you will. And so we need to understand, uh, in particular, from Jesus himself to begin with, what is Jesus not saying? Jesus is not condemning self-defense. How do I know that? I know that from these words of Jesus himself. And he said to them, he's talking to the disciples, who we call the apostles now. And he's talking to them at the second sort of official commissioning, when He's getting ready to leave, he's going to be crucified, and they're going to go out and do the ministry. And he makes reference to an earlier time when he sent them out. He said, when I sent you out without money bag, without a knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. The first time he sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom, he said, don't take anything with you. And and to paraphrase, it's all going to be miraculous. It's all going to be miraculous. God provided completely miraculously for them including their defense. Look what he says now. When I sent you out the first time, did you lack anything? No. Then he said to them, but now, but now there's a change. He who has a money bag, take it with him. He who has a knapsack, likewise. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. See, did you hear them quote that verse? No. Okay. Now, what's, what's interesting is what comes next as well. For I say to you that this, this which is written must still be accomplished in me, quote, and he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. What he was saying was, guys, I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be numbered with the transgressors. They're going to call me a criminal. And he said, if they're going to call me that, they're going to call you that. There's going to be problems. There's going to be challenges. So they said, Lord, look, here's two swords. And he said, it's enough. Now what's he saying? He's saying he, every guy doesn't have to be armed to the teeth. Okay, there are 12 guys. You're going to go out two by two or six by six or whatever. In other words, he, what he's saying is what we would call today a little bit of stewardship of your personal defense. The word stewardship is a Bible word that means taking care of what God has given to you. And first and foremost, he's giving you your body. The Apostle Paul, when he was persecuted in a, in a town, when they, when they stoned him, what did he do? He left town. Okay, one time he was led over the wall in a basket. Okay, um, he didn't say, he didn't... He didn't dust himself off and come right back up in and say, let's go for another one. Let me turn the other cheek here. No, he went. And in fact, God used that persecution to move him around. That, well, boy, the ministry's done here. I'm going over yonder, you know, and, and that's what he did. And so it's important to know that from Jesus Christ himself, he's not saying it's wrong to defend yourself. He's not saying that. Secondly, He does not remove the mandate of law and order. Okay? Um, And we would understand that from Romans 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, 
and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. And I know that's real tough for you to swallow when the other political party comes into power. Okay? And I'm not saying, and neither is God saying, that every single thing every single politician does is from God. But God allows authority, and He has created governmental systems Whoever resists the authority, resists the rule of God or the law of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. Then you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister to execute wrath. Now, I understand there's a lot of challenges to to looking at that and saying, how can government be God's minister? All I know is that God has allowed government to create law and order. And I think we all understand if there wasn't government, we would be worse off than we are now. I know we think, oh, if there was none of this regulation. No, what was it in our country before there was law and order? It was the wild, wild west, and who was in control? the people with the most guns. And I think you all think that would be you, but it wouldn't be, <laughs> would it? And, and what would happen is wickedness would be elevated as it was. And so we need to understand God has created law and order. And so what this tells us is it is not wrong for government to bear the sword. It is not wrong for us to participate in that government um, you know, I'm a chaplain for the sheriff's office. It doesn't bother me one bit to be associated with them. And, and uh, I'll let you in uh, on a little secret. If I'm ever with them, don't bother us because we will take care of ourselves. And I'm saying that in the plural. Okay, because God does not commend us to roll over for wickedness. And so uh, God does not remove the mandate of law and order. He, does, he is not opposed, he is not condemn the physical opposition of wrong now the passover of the jews was at hand jesus went up to jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business and when he made a whip of cords he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers money and overturned the tables and he said to those who sold doves take these things away do not make my father's house a den of merchandise That does not sound like pacifism to me. Now, when is it appropriate to do that sort of a thing? I I would hesitate to draw a rule for you. But God clearly says there are some times when there are things that are so wrong that you may have to uh, physically stand up for what is right. And he doesn't condemn that. He also doesn't remove what I would call good stewardship. And the first part of good stewardship is caring for your family. Excuse the typo, that's my mistake. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God does not expect us, as the, you know, we, we think of this passage in the turn the cheek, but it also says, give to those who ask. God doesn't expect us to give away until we have nothing to live on. He doesn't expect us to be poor stewards. We do need to take care of our, ourselves and our families. And I know that's uh, just the fact that I say that will give some people license to say, yeah, I don't have to give, I don't have to lend. Now, look for the balance here. Look for the balance. There's also a stewardship element of caring for the best of those who are in need. 
caring for the best in those who are in need. For even when we were with you, we commended you this, if any will not work, neither shall he eat. We don't give money from our church to people who call up that we've never met before and say, I need some money. Well, Lord bless you, brother. Um, Did you ask your church? Well, uh, er, uh, okay. We help people in our church regularly. But there, there have been times in the past when people don't want to work, but they do want to eat. And you know what? If you love those people, if you love them in a godly way, you will try to help them to get a job and support them in the meantime. It's not an either or. And ultimately, if there was someone who refused to work, then we should not help because we are not helping them. Okay, I understand there's a lot of nuance to be worked out in how we might do that as a church or you as an individual. And frankly, there's some gray space in there for you to make choices. You have family members, you make choices about how you're going to help them. Lord bless you, there's nothing wrong with that. But this scripture, Matthew 5, does not mandate that you give till it's gone. But it does mandate that you give. So what did Jesus command? Let's go back to verse 38 to begin with. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I tell you to resist. Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. The Old Testament law was given to enable fairness for those who were wronged. Compensation for damages suffered. Essentially, though, this instruction goes beyond that to to talk about Personal wrongs suffered. Personal wrongs. Kent Hughes commented, summarized his comment this way. How is the person who has the surpassing righteousness of Christ supposed to react to a personal offense? How do I know that this is a personal offense? Um... I believe it's because of how Jesus explained it. I tell you not to resist an evil person. You know, um, there's, it, we're tempted here to try to explain this away, but we don't need to explain it away. What we need, need, what we need to do is look at Jesus' illustrations. He says, don't resist an evil person. Now, here are the explanation phrases. First of all, First of all, we are to receive insult peacefully. When he talks about turning the other cheek, he's talking about a formal way they had to insult people. And the formal way they did it was, uh, was like this. Come here, uh, uh, Chet, stand up for me, bud. Come, come out here a minute so that people can see this. You get to be the guinea pig today. You're the closest man that I have here. I, I want to be nice to the ladies, but... So if, if, if I was upset with him and I wanted to really forcefully state my insult, I would go like this, okay? <laughs> now, see the right cheek? The reason I know they use the back of the right hand is because they would never use the left hand. The left hand is the dirty hand. 
okay, used for other things. And so if I'm going to slap him on his right cheek, I'm not going to go like that. I'm going to go like this. Thank you. We still do that today, don't we? When somebody, we're kind of upset with somebody, we go, eh, right? You know, we're kind of imitating that, that backhanded slap thing. Well, they would do that when they, when they really wanted to state their objection. Boy, I am angry with you. Whack. Jesus said we are to receive insult peacefully. Okay, I, I don't believe his intention was so much physical. Did Jesus ever talk about physical things as the key to spiritual? Yes, there's a physical action. But what he's saying is somebody comes and insults you, he said, don't go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth on them. You see, the temptation is there. You can't do that to me. And there's, you know, the fight is on. A fight may be on physically or the fight may be on verbally. Jesus has said, you heard it was said, eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. But I'm telling you, when somebody comes up and insults you, you do not insult them back. According to the, the Jewish teachers, the rabbis, to hit someone with the back of the hand was twice as insulting as hitting them with the flat of the hand. The back of the hand meant calculated contempt. Jesus didn't say if somebody punches you in the gut. He wasn't just talking about physical violence. He was, they readily would have understood, oh, he's, he's saying when somebody insults me, I'm not, supposed to, I'm not supposed to go back on them. Do you remember how Jesus responded when he was struck in the face? The high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine. And Jesus answered, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and the temple. And this is where he's, he's under arrest and he's about to be crucified. Um, I always taught in the synagogues where the Jews meet and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Okay, he, he asked him about his doctrine. He says, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck him with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? The intent of the strike on the palm of the hand was not like punishment. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm going to beat you down. It was like, who do you think you are? How does Jesus respond? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, then why do you strike me? Okay. Could Jesus have verbally cut those people to pieces? I mean, you've heard people that are really quick with the words. What could Jesus have done? Wow. Could he have physically dematerialized them? Boy, wouldn't you love to see that sometime? John Phillips commented this way, the Lord illustrated in his own life what he meant by this rule. When he was smacked in the face, he did not literally turn the other cheek, but although he had omnipotent power at his command, and he could have hurled his assailant alive into hellfire, he acted with restraint and contented himself with a mild reproach. Now, there's a second time this happened to him. And, and the, the officers, the, the, the military men, the guards, the police officers, whatever you want to call him, blindfolded him 
and they struck him on the face. And they said, prophesy, who's the one who struck you? Now, again, they're not trying to beat him down. They're, they're playing with him. Yeah, prophesy, tell us who did that. Boy, that would be the time. Where, I mean, there's no good thing going on there at all. That would be the time you'd really want to, uh, to lash out. How did he respond? He responded the way Peter observed who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled or spoken badly of, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus could have, (laughs) he could have killed them all and been the last man standing. He did not trade insult for insult, or condemnation. I mean, if anybody was ever right and the other people were wrong, it was him in that situation. And yet still he held his peace and he trusted him who judges righteously. That is what Jesus is commending to us. He says, listen, you, you've heard it said and, and, and essentially you've been practicing eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You pay back. When people come after you, you go after them whether it's physically or verbally or or however you might do it. He said, I'm telling you, if somebody insults you, you do not return the favor. What are our words supposed to be like? They're supposed to be like this. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. No matter what people say to us, No matter what people do to us, we are not to seek revenge. We are not to seek payback. That is God's business. He said, turn the other cheek. This is talking about personal insult and personal attack. Secondly, he says, instead of payback, instead of revenge, verse uh, 30, verse 40. If someone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. The tunic was what they called the inner garment. Okay, I I have a shirt on. You you can think of it as a shirt. Uh, Obviously, it was, you know, a long garment. You know, we have an image of of an old school night skirt or whatever that people might wear. That was what they wore under the thing that was called the cloak. And there was law in the Old Testament that, that talked about the cloak. Um, and the law said this in Exodus twenty two twenty six: If you take your neighbor's garment as a pledge for a debt, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It's his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am gracious." Isn't this an odd, an odd kind of law? The law, basically, you know, if, if somebody owed something, they said, well, I'll pay you on Friday. And so they'd say, well, give me something as security. There was an incident where this happened in something really wicked between a man and a woman, and he gave his ring, and he gave some signet cord, and, and a couple of things. And that was the security that he would pay what he owed. Well, some people would say, all I have is, is the coat on my back. they say, okay, well, give me that for security. The rule was, at the end of the day, he could come and get it back because that was his blanket. 
That's how poor people were. They slept in that, in that heavy coat. And he said, and if you don't give it back to him, he'll cry out to me and I will hear him. So this was a very serious thing. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, if somebody sues you for your shirt, see the shirt that you, you could have a damage judgment, a suit, and they would say, I'll take his shirt for payment. Well, then you'd have to give them the shirt and, and that would be just, that's gone. Okay? So he's talking about a court process and some, in which somebody has a lawsuit, there's damages assigned, and the, the, what, what, you're, what you have to pay is the tunic. So what does Jesus command? If they sue you and take away your tunic, give them your coat also. Why in the world would you do that? See, I really don't care for this verse that much. Because what he's saying is, we should accept personal responsibility completely. Now again, it's, it's not just saying when somebody's mad at you and steals your shirt, then give him your coat also. He's saying there's been a court case and there's been a judgment and he's won the court case. What does that mean? That means that you damaged him somehow. And he's won the judgment of your shirt. And so somehow Jesus is saying, be completely responsible. Go above and beyond in your responsibility. It sounds similar to, uh, oh, there's the verse I was looking for. Um, It sounds similar to this from Romans 12. Repay no one evil for evil. No eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourself. No eye for an eye, no tooth for a tooth, no insult for insult, but rather give place to wrath. In other words, let it be, let God take vengeance. You set the vengeance aside, let God take vengeance, because I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. He doesn't say if your enemy is hungry, show him your food and go, la, 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 ha, ha, boy, this food sure is good. I bet you wish you had some. No, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. That doesn't sound like fun. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One of the phrases that, uh, that I learned growing up was fight fire with fire. Jesus says, don't fight fire with fire. Jesus says, when you, you, if you've wronged somebody, you go the extra mile to make it right. Whatever it takes to overcome evil with good. In the Proverbs it says, a soft answer does what? Turns away wrath. We are not going to go toe-to-toe with people and come out with peace. God wants us to live at peace as much as is possible with us, which means, according to Matthew 5, there will be times when we need to go the extra mile. It's real easy to say, well, I'd love to live at peace, but he won't come over here. Jesus is saying, no, 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 you go. You go the extra mile. You 
you go the extra mile and accept personal responsibility. The third thing that Jesus tells us is we are to complete unpleasant duties exceptionally. Look at verse uh, verse 41. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Now, this is based in a law that was present at the time that we, we don't know anything about if we didn't have historical research. But the Roman Empire, and before the Roman Empire, other empires did the same thing, or other large governments. They said that their people who represented them, particularly like soldiers, could compel people to carry their baggage for a mile. In other words, they're, they're, they're going along, going somewhere, and they go, hey, hey, you, come over here and carry my bag. And it was, it was a Roman mile, which was 1,000 paces. Okay? So they could make them carry the bag. There, this seems to be what happened when Jesus is carrying his cross, and the Roman soldier says, you, you carry the cross. They had the authority to do that. It wasn't arbitrary on his part. Clearly, and, and of course, think of the Jewish person who is going to be compelled by the Roman authority to carry his bag. How excited is he going to be about that? And Jesus says, and I'm sure the phrase comes right from this verse, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. Uh, John Stott comments this way, any form of service in which we find ourselves conscripts rather than volunteers is what Jesus is talking about. There are things that we are expected to do from time to time that we don't like. Kids, do your parents expect you to do chores you don't want? And when they say, when you say, why do I have to take out the garbage? And they say, because I am the parental empire. <laughs> Jesus said, if I understand it right, you should take the garbage out twice. Boy, you see why I said I don't like this passage of Scripture that much? Does your employer ask you to do tasks you don't like? Does your neighbor fail to hold up his end of a bargain to help pay for the fence even when he said he would? Does the city make you get a permit for that building project? Oh, oh. Jesus said, don't worry about payback. Don't worry about even. Don't worry about fair. Go the extra mile. You see, the, the, the Christian life is not about what's fun or easy or comfortable. It's about what's righteous and what will accomplish God's purposes in the world. The last one of these commands, I believe, uh, says this. Share your resources generously. Um, he, he says, give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow, don't turn away. The Leviticus chapter 25 is all about regulations on, on things like the Sabbath rest for the land. Every, after six years, the seventh year, they were supposed to not uh, harvest any crops, not plant anything, not harvest anything, let the land rest. And uh, then also, then every 50 years, they were supposed to let all the slaves go free. They were supposed to give back whatever had been uh, indebted. Like if somebody took a piece of land and borrowed money against it, they had to give it back. There was all these rules. And if we were to summarize it, it would be this. God expected them to be gracious 
toward those in need. He expected them to be gracious, generous, giving. That, that goes against our selfish human nature. And, and, and here he's saying, go beyond legislated fairness. If somebody asks for help, help him. When somebody asks to borrow, lend to him. Now, I understand that, uh, well, and here's, a, here's kind of a, a, a parallel passage from Jesus. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Had a, a man in our church in Tukwila, he said, whenever I loan money to somebody, I never loan money that I can't afford to lose. I think when he loaned it, he just said, well, that's gone. And if it came back, it came back. He loaned money to the church at one point. We, we, we refinanced our mortgage with him, if you will. And it was his idea. And we paid it back. Everything was fine. But he just said, I don't loan money. I can't afford to lose. It sounds like Jesus is saying, plan on it. Lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. How does God feel when He gives us things like air to breathe, sunshine, our jobs? Do we always give Him back what he expects or wants. Go beyond legislated fairness. Second Thessalonians 3.10 is still in the Bible. If any will not work, neither should he eat. And so we have to figure out how we're going to do that. God wants us to help people genuinely. And yet somehow there needs to be a there needs to be a generous spirit so that we are willing and we do what we can. Kent Hughes comments, Jesus' words are not a a set of mechanical rules, but principles for meeting the personal wrongs that come to those who follow him. In the matter of loaning, the Lord wants his followers to reject a tight-fisted, penny-pinching attitude that said, this is mine and I'll never share it. Jesus says, be gracious and your reward will be great. A tough passage of scripture for us because unfortunately every verse applies to every one of us. You know, when I was a police chaplain in Tukwila, I I was asked to do a lot of funerals because I met a lot of people on crisis calls and people died and these people didn't have any church and so they, they would ask me to do the funeral. And I did then as I do now. I shared the gospel at every, you know, I worked it into the message in some fashion and because I believe that's why God had me there. And at the end of almost every single one of those services, one person, I'm telling you, it was almost always one person would come up and say, thank you for sharing that. And I thought, that's the missionary in this clan. You know, not me, it's them. There's one Christian here. There was a couple times when there was nobody who came up. Thanks for that word. You know, most weeks here after church, there's always some people who say, God, good sermon, did a good job at that, you know, whatever. And and just so you know, I'm not looking for that, okay? And I know I'll get some great comments today. But a couple of, 
But a couple of weeks ago, in fact, I think it was last week's sermon, when I preached on Christ's standard of honesty, I didn't get one word of commendation after the sermon. And frankly, I don't expect much this week. Because it's a tough passage. I'm not, I, I would not try to convince you that I'm living it out perfectly. But I know we've got to wrestle with it. We have got to go above and beyond the minimum in how we relate to people, how we love people, how we, how we let God defend us, how we let God provide for us. You see, there is a reason that God wants us to make these sacrifices. We may, not, we, may not, we may struggle to say, God, why have you asked that of me? But you know, he tells us the reason, and I believe it's in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, uh, searching, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, and he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, the lust of greed, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. For what credit is it for, for when you are beaten for your faults, if you take that patiently, but when you do good, and then you suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For it is to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, his steps of suffering. And then from chapter 4, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. God wants us to go above and beyond in our love and our graciousness to other people because he wants to show himself through us. So the choice we have to make as we go out is, am I going to get revenge, which makes me feel good for a little bit? Am I going to defend my own rights, which makes me feel good for a little bit? Or am I going to deny myself, serve the Lord, and get his commendation in heaven? Heavenly Father, help us. We are selfish because we are human and sinners. Help us. I know you're going to test us. I know you're going to test me. Help us to see those test times and help us to deny ourselves and follow your path and reap your results. I pray in Christ's name, amen.